ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. We find the defendant guilty. When I hear that call, I remember all the 911 calls I played for juries as a felony prosecutor. Calls I didn't want to play and I didn't want to hear again, but I had to play for the jury so they would understand what was happening. You know, to play this call for you was a decision that was made because it's not a pretty call. It's not anything you want to hear. And that is why domestic abuse is swept under the rug. It's an embarrassment. The mother's embarrassed. The children are embarrassed. That's not right. They shouldn't be the ones embarrassed. He should be the one that's embarrassed. Hello. Welcome back. <laughs> Molly was just doing a weird dance. It, it looked like she was holding like Maracas? salt and pepper shake Ooh. shakers. And you were just like salting and like seasoning your food, but like seasoning this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're to in make, a really to good make mood. it taste better. Yeah. <laughs> just add a little spice. <laughs> yeah. We just don't want to leave a bad taste in your mouth. So yeah, it's good. You know, I'm going to add some flavor. <laughs> um, we season our food here. <laughs> yeah. We season our food here. Come on. Um, yeah. Me and Amber are in a really good mood. We've been talking and yeah just, just kind of talking about the future of our podcast yeah. and and how we can grow and learn from each other and and you guys as listeners and we just feel really good after yeah. hearing a very devastating case because we're doing a twofer tonight but yeah. not really a twofer for the case but we recorded two in one night yes yeah, so we recorded so you will be listening to it and <laughs> i don't know what i was saying <laughs> yeah we're so loopy we're loopy we're we're here. I basically just said we recorded a case. You're going to listen to it, and we're recording this case, and you're going to listen to it. I mean, yeah. Well, you are. You are going to listen to it. I hope. You're going to listen to both of them. I mean, you're here, aren't you guys? So, <laughs> All right. So that is our little goof mode. So we got our laughs out, but now it's time for the case. And it, 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 this is a really sad, devastating case. So I, I don't know if I can handle two devastating cases in a night. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah, well, we all needed that laugh in the beginning, but oh yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, now it's time to get serious. We're gonna jump right into this case. So today's case takes place in a town called Canal Winchester, and this is located in Ohio. So if you don't know where this is at, it's about twenty minutes away from Columbus. So on Sunday, October fourth, two thousand fifteen, at around eight p.m. 911 dispatchers received a call from a 12-year-old Alexa Luke. Now, I'm going to play this 911 call for you. It was 17 minutes long, so I, I don't have the full thing. I just have the small portions, the most important portions yeah. of that call. A fair warning it is very upsetting to listen to. It's definitely probably, probably going to be one of the hardest 911 calls that we've listened to. So just a fair warning, if you don't want to hear a child that's very distressed, yeah. just skip ahead, I would say, a couple minutes, and then we'll pick up where we left off. 911, where is your emergency? My dad's being really mean to my mommy. What's he doing? He's really he's saving my mom, and he's saving her to the ground. How old are you? <laughs> Physically hurting your mom? Do you know what they're fighting about? Everything! Get off my mother! 
Who's at the house with you guys? Just my sister, my dad, my mom. My dad, my mom. Okay, they're coming. Okay, hold your sister. Nine. Do you know if anybody's been drinking? My dad has. They're fighting really bad. You're leaving? Yes. Oh, my God. What's going on? Can you tell me what happened, honey? My dad hit my mom and she put her into a flower pot. I was like, no, he's hurting me. He's hurting me now. Can you, you go? You need to go away from them, okay? You need to take your sister. My mom broke her arm. Your mother bro has broke her arm? Please, hurry. My dad broke her arm. Get away from me. No, no, they're coming for you. They're all for you. The police and everything. You're harassing her. Are you coming soon? Yes, honey, they're coming, okay? Oh, my God. No, he just pushed her. He pushed her really hard. And she fell again. We were all outside. I'm not really hurt her arm. Dad, get off me. Get off my mommy. Are you guys going to see her? I don't want to live here anymore. It's really bad. He's never done this before. Well, they've been fighting for a long time, but he's never done it this far. We tried to get in the car, but he won't let her. Get out! Oh, he's really mean. Really mean. We're going. I'm in the car. He's not letting us go. He's holding on. To be, and, and how old was the girl? 12. 12. To be 12 years old, doing a play-by-play -play of all the abusive events going on, and to be that hysterical, but still fluent. Yeah. I, that hurts my heart. Yeah. I was, I was honestly astonished when I first heard this 911 call, because I was like, I cannot believe... Yes, she's very upset and it's very disturbing, but I also couldn't believe like her composure for being a child witnessing this and talking to 911 all at the same time. Now, this household consisted of four family members, Alexa Luke, the 12-year-old that you just heard on the 911 call, her little sister, nine-year-old Addison, her mother, Angela, and her father, Daniel. Something that you might not have picked up perfectly from listening to the 911 call is that Angela had managed to flee the house with her two daughters. She jumped into the family's black BMW with her in the driver's seat, and then she had her two daughters riding in the back seat. Angela attempted to drive away, but Daniel, her husband, grabbed onto the window of the car and they bleeped it out in the 911 call, but he said, in quote, you fucked yourself, end quote. 
As Angela hastily drove away from the driveway, Daniel was still holding on to the car, and because of this, Angela accidentally ran him over with the family car. That's the moment in the call that you hear Alexa screaming, he's just, he's dead, he's dead, he's really dead. He was holding onto the window, and he fell right off, and he's bleeding really bad. Angela then stops the car, she runs out and gets a neighbor for help, and this neighbor comes to the scene to see what's going on. He also takes the phone from the daughter and he begins to talk to the operator. Daniel was on the ground, nearly unconscious and in critical condition. Hi, is this the neighbor, Mr. Ingram? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. We have medics and the uh, deputies in route that way. I just need to know what um, Mr. Luke's condition seems like. Is he, is he awake? So I'm going to stop the story and talk about the family a little bit more, and then we'll obviously make our way back to this point. So Angela and Daniel Luke had been married for 18 years. Together, they had their two daughters. They both attended Ohio State University, and that's actually where they met. Daniel was born on April 9th, 1973, and he graduated from New Carissal High School. While at the Ohio State University, he received his bachelor's degree and he also received his MBA from Capital University. So he had his bachelor's and a master's. After this, Daniel became a banker at Huntington National Bank, and that's the job that he had up until this point. He also attended Lithopolis United Methodist Church. His mother's name was Luann Luke, and his father, who had passed, his name was Robert Luke. He also had a brother named David. Daniel also spent a lot of his time with his two daughters, and he actually coached their softball team. Daniel's brother, David, also had this to say in quote. He was very committed to his family, end quote. David also mentioned that if there was any problems within the family, Daniel would try to fix them. However, it seemed like the marriage had been strained for the past couple years, but there was no talks of divorce. In fact, Daniel and David, the last time they saw each other was Labor Day, and he never once said something's wrong with my wife, didn't come across concerned, didn't have any anything. So this was a huge shock to the family. Well, I could only imagine because usually the abusers don't want to say that, you know, their their home is a mess. They want to keep this tight little pa nice family, family. And, and everything's going great until something doesn't. And then it's their family's fault and not you know, the abuser's fault. So I could only imagine why David was confused as to how this unfolded. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, Angela, his wife, was born on May 26, 1975. She was a teacher. She taught second grade at Tussing Elementary, and this is in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. And she had been teaching at the district for 11 years. Very long time. She was very much loved by her students, and we'll kind of talk a little bit more about that later, but she loved her students, and her students really loved her. She was described as a popular teacher because everybody just knew Miss Luke. The two of them raised their daughters in a very nice upper-middle-class two-story home. The daughters had a huge backyard on two and a half acres, and there was also a pool to play in, and they had two dogs. So they literally looked like a picture frame perfect family. And their house, I'll post pictures of it, it's beautiful. 
honestly. Now, according to the Fairfield County Sheriff's Office, there was no prior reports of any domestic violence from Angela or Daniel Luke before this incident. We kind of have a little bit of a background, which, by the way, it was really hard to find detailed information about this case. Every article essentially said the exact same thing. And so I don't have too much background as to who they really were as people, but still an interesting case. Now back to the events of October 4th, 2015. We're at the driveway of the Luke family home. Daniel is severely injured and the paramedics and police get to the scene. Daniel was quickly taken to Dilly Ridge Medical Center to be treated. When the police arrive, they question everybody involved. Angela tells the investigators she heard a thump while she was trying to drive away as her husband held onto the car. She stopped the car, saw her husband bleeding on the ground, and ran to get a neighbor for help. I mean, even though she was being attacked, that was actually very smart of her to not just drive off and, like, flee the scene. She stopped and attempted to assist. Yeah, well, and that's the thing about this, too, is since there's no prior domestic violence charges and a lot of people said they were happy, I obviously think there is some kind of abuse. Obviously, you heard it. But I don't think that Angela and Dan- Daniel didn't love each other. Like, yeah. I definitely think that Angela cared for her husband and the the children, obviously, really cared for both of them. So, of course, she's going to stop. She didn't even mean to do that. It was yeah. just what happened. Yeah, of course. And it was just the heat of the moment and, and all the events leading up to that as well. And I could only... I'm just imagining that this, you know, couple had a huge fight. It got too far. Even the daughter said, not like this. It's never been like this. This is way too far, you know? So, and not to mention, um, they've been drinking that night, which never really makes sense. Leads to any, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what kind of relationship they had aside from this, like, really fucked up night. But saying that there was alcohol involved definitely plays a factor. Now, investigators also did a search of the home when they got there, and they recovered the following items from the home. The 2014 black BMW, bloody bedsheets from the master bedroom, a bloodied bedsheet from one of the children's room, and two cell phones. So one cell phone that was found on the nightstand in the master bedroom, and then the other cell phone that was found in the family car. Now, shortly after Daniel was taken to Dilly Ridge Medical Center, he was pronounced dead due to massive head injuries. So nobody at all was expecting it was in a matter of hours that he was there. So after the news came out that Daniel was pronounced dead, Angela Luke was arrested for third-degree felony charges of aggravated vehicular homicide and reckless homicide. I obviously don't know the events that happened and besides, obviously, the 911 call. And I understand that you have to do your job as an investigator, as an officer. But this just made me really sad automatically. Yeah, it does. And it does. And it sparked a lot of controversy. But we will get into that shortly. New at 530, a popular elementary school teacher is facing charges for the death of her husband in Fairfield County. A chilling 911 call from the couple's daughter paints a disturbing picture of domestic violence. NBC4's Harrison Hove joins us live now to explain why the woman is facing a reckless homicide charge. And Harrison, that is a difficult 911 call to listen to. One of the things that it does tell victims that if you escape and something, you know, are trying to escape and are even trying to defend yourself in any way, 
it could be that you end up being the one being charged. I mean, that's sort of the message that it sends. My dad's hurting my mom. He's penning her to the ground. He's making marks on my mom. All direct quotes from a tragic 911 call. The 12-year-old also tells the dispatcher her father has been drinking before falling off and getting run over by the family's getaway car. Angela Luke faces a max of three years in prison for each felony she now faces. Which I think, to me, would have a chilling effect on who you're going to reach out for for help. And yet, reaching out for that help could very well save your life and the life of your children. Statistics show four in five women are somewhat or extremely afraid to call police about domestic violence. That's according to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. I asked the Fairfield County Sheriff's Office and the prosecutor's office if charges filed against Angela Luke will discourage other victims from leaving their abusers in the future. Sheriff Dave Phelan says, quote, we certainly hope not. We as an organization have been an advocate for domestic violence victims. It's our policy on domestic violence calls to arrest the perpetrator. Jeff Hunter, the Fairfield County Chief Assistant Prosecutor, added, quote, We do not believe that been handled so far or in the future will hinder victims of domestic violence from coming forward. We think by the end of the investigation, more domestic violence victims will be encouraged to come forward. Tonight in Franklin County, Harrison Hove, NBC4. So it was very shocking for everybody closest involved and even people who were not close to this family to hear that Angela now faced charges when in reality she was just acting in self-defense. What really irked me is how the reporter was discussing how the police chief was talking about, you know, uh, domestic violence victims coming out, you know, for future reuse. But they also said that they will arrest the perpetrator. So now you're calling Angela, the perpetrator, and then you're trying to use her as an example for other domestic violence victims to, to reach out and, and to do this. It's like, no, they're, they're now scared of the police. They're scared of who's supposed to help them because right now you're hurting the one person who was being hurt while trying to escape a, a very violent scene. Yeah, and it's so confusing because I've heard another domestic violence case. I forgot which one, but it was um, she shot her husband and killed him because he was going to kill her. And then she was facing a trial and literally got imprisoned for it. So it's yeah, it's almost like I understand because when a unnatural death occurs, it needs to be investigated to its fullest. But it is really crappy for anybody who is scared to leave their abuser. If they get to that point where it's like, I'm dying or you're dying, but they're afraid to not run or yeah. not be the one who isn't killed, yeah. they're going to get the consequence for that. Because you never know how the investigation's going to go or how the defense attorney, or I'm sorry, not the defense, but the prosecutor is going to twist and spin the story because now, yes, you were being abused on the phone and, and your daughter is, you know, talking about what's going on, a play-by-play -play of all the events, but you never know what that prosecutor will use against you in that phone call either. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, that same day that she was arrested, she pled not guilty to her charges and was released on a $25,000 unsecured appearance bond. Now, I did not know what the hell an unsecured appearance <laughs> bond was, okay. so I looked it up. Tell us, tell like us. Like I do. So basically what an unsecured bond is, it's a type of bail in which an accused person makes a, a written promise to appear in court. The bond also contains the accused unsecure promise to pay a specific sum of money if the accused fails to appear as required. 
So she basically had to give a written promise. I will be showing up to my court date. If I do not show up to my court date, I will owe you this much money. Yeah, instead of an actual bond where you pay the money out first and then if they don't show up, then lose out on that money because it's like to the court. It's kind of like like Verizon Wireless promise to pay type yeah, of style, you know? Yeah, exactly. So her her court date was set for October 16th. Angela was released from jail custody. However, she still was required to give her fingerprints, her photos, her DNA to the sheriff's office. And the the crappy part about that was her mugshot was just all over the internet. And it was like, it's just, that's a shameful, just imagine your mugshot being released to the public you lost your husband you're in a domestic situation that just went horribly wrong it feels just wrong it feels like you are not the victim at this point you are the person who committed this crime automatically it's kind of like an automatic admission of guilt because that's kind of how the media is spinning it and regardless if the media saying, you know, like, oh, you know, this mom is is a domestic abuse survivor, but she's being charged with, you know, ve- vehicular manslaughter or whatever it is. It's like you could use and we see this all the time with, you know, a, a lot of how the media spew things. You could have used a better photo. Yeah. You could have used an actual like her teacher's photo. Yeah. Because of these charges, a man named David Ball, who was the public relations director of Pickerton School District. So this was a school district that Angela worked for. He announced that the district had placed Angela Luke on unpaid suspension. So now she can't work her job and she cannot get paid. David Ball also commented that this was a district's standard procedure. An email was also sent out to the parents saying that it was up to the parents if they wanted to tell their children what really happened to their teacher, if they wanted to, you know, say something else, but that they had counselors available at the school at all times just to make sure any kids would need the help. Now, just one day later on October 7th, The audio from the 911 call was released and this exploded for a fight for Angela. Once the community heard the 911 call, they just thought it was just a huge injustice that Angela would be, one, arrested for the murder, and two, being suspended from her job without pay. Many different organizations set up petitions. They had, I saw one on change, you know, change.org. They had a Facebook page for her. They had a GoFundMe page for her. So everybody just was like, get her the justice she deserves. Now, also on October 27th, all charges against Angela were dropped once that 911 call was released. It's, It's undeniable to hear that 911 call and not feel like she was wronged. So the prosecutors of the state said that it would take 30 days to fully investigate the case just to make sure no new charges would be filed. They wanted to just say, hey, we're going to give this 30 days to fully investigate this, and then we'd be able to to close, close the books. Now, the same day that her charges were dropped, Pickerton Local School District reinstated Angela. So this was actually a pretty quick turnaround. Thankfully, she didn't have to go through a trial or anything like that. The superintendent, Valerie Thompson, she made the choice to reinstate Angela once she heard the 911 call made by Angela's daughter. Now, by law, it is required that Angela still be suspended from teaching until her court date on the 16th but they did give her payback. This is a prime example of the whole we're supposed to be 
innocent until proven guilty, but instead she was guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. So David Ball, who was the public relations guy, he refused to comment on the ruling of the charges being dropped. However, he said this in quote, the district is happy. Miss Luke is back teaching. We continue to be supportive of her as she and her family move past this difficult time End quote. And our other top story tonight, charges dropped and suspension lifted. Tucson Elementary School teacher Angela Luke has now been reinstated by the Pickerington Local School District. Now, this all began out of a violent domestic dispute at Luke's home in Fairfield County Sunday night. Luke is accused of running over her husband, Daniel, while trying to get away from him. Last night, NBC4 was the first to report that the district had reversed its decision not to pay her while she was on mandatory suspension. Then, just a few hours later, the homicide charges were dropped. NBC4's Harrison Hove has been following all the developments on this case. He's live in Pickerington tonight with continuing coverage there. Harrison? Cabot, for the very first time, we are hearing from a student in Miss Luke's second grade class right here at Tusing Elementary, as well as her parent, and both say they can't wait for their teacher to return to this school. I really miss her a lot, and I wish if she comes back soon. Seven-year-old Haley tells me her whole class is missing Miss Luke. Her mother, Brittany Byer, says she felt Angela Luke should have never been charged. It was clear self-defense. She didn't mean to do it. She was trying to get away. I just don't believe she should have been charged in the first place. I'm extremely glad they did drop the charges, and they are going to welcome her back. Tucson Elementary School principal Matt Dansby said Luke is a fantastic teacher. She's a teacher that she shows up every single day and, and puts in 100% effort. Um, she shows those students not only uh, she's strong instructionally, but that loving support, that relationship building. Dansby says Luke has the full support of teachers and staff at this school. She has been a support for everybody else as well, so she deserves to have all the support she's getting now. Luke's attorney also released a statement today following this news. Attorney Jonathan Tyak says, quote, on behalf of Angela Luke, her daughters and her entire family, we want to thank all those in central Ohio community and across the nation who have shown their unwavering support for Angela throughout this most difficult time. That includes Haley, who can't wait to see her teacher in class again soon. Usually when she um, bees really nice to us and gives us candy on Friday. Gives her candy on Fridays. Now, it is worth noting tonight that the Fairfield County prosecutor dismissed these charges against Angela Luke without prejudice. That means that she can be recharged at any time or face amended charges. The prosecutor is currently investigating the situation, and he says it will take at least 30 days. I'm reporting live tonight in Pickerington, Harrison Hove, NBC4. Angela's defense attorney, a man by the name of John Tyak, had this to add in quote. Angela and her entire family are relieved that the criminal investigation has come to an end. Now she can direct her full attention to her daughters and her students without the distraction that comes from being the subject of a criminal investigation. She is forever grateful for the assistance that she has received during this most difficult time. She feels blessed to live and work in such a loving and supportive community. A follow-up tonight on that teacher accused of running over her husband. The Fairfield County prosecutor now says he will not be presenting Angela Luke's case to a grand jury. NBC4's Dan Perlman is in the newsroom. And Dan, what did the prosecutor say about his decision in this case? Well, Dwayne, word tonight from Fairfield County prosecutor Greg Marks is that the evidence is not there to prove Angela Luke is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So a grand jury will not be hearing this case. 
You may remember back in October, Angela Luke, a Pickerington local schools teacher, was involved in a domestic dispute with her husband, Daniel Luke. As it unfolded, Angela tried driving away from the couple's Fairfield County home, in turn running over her husband, and he died. The couple's daughter actually called 911 in the case to report Daniel hurting Angela. This is a story which gained national attention with a lot of people rallying behind Angela as a suspected victim of domestic abuse. Tonight, in a statement, her attorney tells us she is relieved this case is closed and grateful for all of that support. Victims are in this unfortunate position of having to choose. Do I want to vote or do I want to be safe? And I don't think that somebody should have to choose between those two things. The state today announces a new address confidentiality program to give stronger protections to victims of human trafficking and domestic violence. And this new effort, ironically, is announced just as there is a rallying cry to protect a Fairfield County mother who stands accused of felony homicide charges in the death of her husband during a violent domestic dispute. We begin with that case tonight. Thanks for joining us. I'm Colleen Marshall. And I'm Cabot Ray. NBC4 was first to report at 5 o'clock today that Pickerington second grade school teacher Angela Luke will be paid while she is on mandatory suspension. She is accused of running over her husband Daniel on Sunday. Their 12-year-old daughter called 911 before Daniel was killed and told the dispatcher that he was hurting Angela. NBC4's Harrison Hove has been following the story closely. He's live in Pickerington tonight with more on today's new developments. Harrison? Cabot, that is the big news tonight here. Pickerington School Superintendent Valerie Browning-Thompson reverses course here, agrees to pay Angela Luke, who is on a mandatory state-required suspension while she faces that reckless homicide charge stemming from a domestic dispute. It's that, that particular law that, that says suspension requires that it be an unpaid um, type of leave. That's what Pickerington local school superintendent Valerie Browning-Thompson told NBC4 this afternoon. She said she was not paying Angela Luke while on suspension based on the district's lawyer's recommendation, but she had not previously consulted the Ohio Department of Education. So I asked ODE for their interpretation of state law and was told in part, quote, state law does not require that she be put on unpaid leave, but it does require that she be suspended. The law does not mention whether the teacher could or should be paid. That is a district decision. Luke's fellow teachers and the teachers union agree. We want her back here with her Pickerington school family. We know she needs that support now more than ever th before. After our NBC4 interview, I was told Pickerington Superintendent Valerie Browning-Thompson had changed her mind. A statement sent to NBC4 says in part, quote, The decision was based following a review of the 911 call, discussions with district legal counsel and the Ohio Department of Education, as well as consultation with the District Board of Education. Superintendent Browning-Thompson tells me that Luke will remain suspended, required by the state, until this reckless homicide charge is cleared up completely. Her next court appearance, Angela Luke's next court appearance, will be October 16th. I'm live tonight in Pickerington, Harrison Hove, NBC4. Thank you, Harrison. Now back to that address confidentiality program announced today by Secretary of State John Husted, who says the state needs to do more to keep domestic violence victims and victims of human trafficking secure by shielding their private information. The great thing about technology is that it's made it easy to find people. The bad thing about technology is that it's made it easy to find people. Something as simple as registering to vote or buying a house, getting a license at the BMV, can put a domestic violence victim at risk. 
All of that information is public record and available to everyone, including an angry ex-husband. And I can honestly say I've been doing this work for over 30 years. I have never known a domestic violence victim to leave a situation without having experienced some stalking. Never. Victims' advocates say too often people believe a victim can end a pattern of violence by simply leaving. But that's when the perpetrator ramps up efforts to regain power and control. No matter what you do, no matter what the victim does, whether she leaves, whether she moves, whether she moves again, uh, whether she gets a protection order, uh, whether she gets a divorce, whatever she does, that person will continue to stalk her, harass her. And sometimes that, that stalking and harassing can be very dangerous, even fatal. Under the proposed law, victims could ask the state to shield their address. Even their mail would be redirected through the Secretary of State's office. Applicants fill a notarized statement that they fear for their safety. They describe some of the circumstances. The reason that we're going through the Ohio Domestic Violence Organizations is that this does kind of serve as a filter system to make sure the people that shouldn't be part of this system don't get into it. And here's a frightening statistic. The Center for Family Safety and Healing says the homicide rate for victims increases by 75% when the victim tries to get help. We invite you to join the conversation about domestic violence by visiting our NBC4 Facebook page and leaving us a comment there. So with all of that being said, what did Daniel's side of the family have to say? Well, David Luke, his brother did have a few, few things to mention. So he said this in quote, Dan was not quick to anger. What happened is not Dan. He didn't want to see his girls drive off. They were everything to him. It's going to take some time to work through this, but there are two nieces who are very important to me and they are my priority and this family's priority, end quote. It's, that quote to me is kind of hard because it's like, I want to support my nieces, but he never once said anything about Angela yeah. at all. Yeah. And like, oh, Dan, Dan was never quick to anger. It's like, clearly, if you were, were to hear that 911 call, how did that not change your mind about the situation at all? Like, you even heard Dan in the background yeah. screaming at her. Yeah, he literally said, you fucked yourself. Yeah. That's a pretty aggressive statement. That sounds like an ending statement. And I understand, like, that this family probably had no idea what was going on. Nobody had any idea of what was going on behind closed doors. But at the end of the day, Angela was your family too. She married into the family. You should be supporting her during this time as well because you could only imagine how much guilt she feels. She probably feels hella guilty. Oh, she absolutely would feel. I mean, 18 years being married to somebody and then it ends like that in a night that you never knew was going to even happen is traumatic. Traumatic. Yeah. I, I feel, I definitely do feel for Daniel's family. Like I I understand the hurt and the anger that like comes with this whole situation. But at the end of the day, like how could you deny that claim? How could yeah. you deny Angela as, as a family member? Like you can be angry with her. You can be upset at the situation, but that doesn't mean she's any less of a family member than your nieces. Yeah, exactly. It's like she was exiled almost. Yeah. Now, David also had this to add in quote. He did snap. I cannot deny that. But this is not the battering of a spouse every day. This one night is not how we want to remember Dan. Had they just walked away from each other, end quote. And, and another thing I want to mention, which um, 
it was David had made a few comments because people online were so insanely pissed off at Daniel. Totally get it. But but there are some people that were writing articles that were in titles. He got what he deserved. Like, he, like he deserved Daniel's to a die. piece of shit. Like all of, yeah. Even and though. And this pissed off their family because the family was I, all I like. I get that. He wasn't that bad. He had, like like David said, he had one bad night. They should have walked away from each other and they didn't. I mean, I feel like we've all been in an argument with a significant other or a family member where you're like, I wish I would have just like walked away and it probably got physical or you shoved somebody or somebody shoved you or you said things that you didn't mean. Like we all have those intense moments and it's a crime of passion. Mm -hmm. And so I totally get that, especially when the media just kind of takes a hold of one story and kind of just twists and turns and makes him out to be this like complete different person than what his personality was just based off of this one night and absolutely and like i don't i think what happened was insane was extremely wrong obviously but to have a complete stranger who has never met your family and has never loved this family member to write an article he got what he deserves i'm glad that he died is is very messed up that is messed up because it's like you weren't even there you didn't even know them like you can't just sit here and make these blog posts that are on the internet forever yeah yeah and to say that somebody deserves death like i i wouldn't wish death on anybody regardless of of how you know shitty of a person you were whatever whatever else like death is is final it's finite and you can't come back from that People can always change as people. They can change their behavior. They can change the way they talk to other people or how they treat other people. They can change. Once once you've died, you can't change anymore. That's yeah. it. That's final. Your story's ended. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I don't wish death on anybody, no matter what they did in their life that was wrong. I, I don't do it. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally feel that. Now... <laughs> I actually don't have any more information as far as updates on Angela or the family or the two daughters. So this pretty much wraps up the case of Angela and Daniel. But I did want to talk a little bit more about domestic violence. And I was actually genuinely curious to know more about how domestic violence affects children in particular. And so I found a few YouTube videos that kind of encompasses well, I wanted to know, like, what does it do to them psychology-wise? Yeah, like traumatic Like, events. the effects. Yeah, yeah. And so I found a few, and I'm going to kind of chop them up and put them in here. And then there's a few more points that I want to hit on afterward. I've been married to this man for 22 years. Kicked me, broke ribs, dragged me across the house, and knocked me to the floor. I can't even count how many times he did that. On and off through the years, he beat me. He slammed my head in trunks. He broke my finger. Um, he was terribly abusive in front of my children. It didn't matter. At the time, I had other children by another marriage. I, I was divorced when he met me. And they were young. They were six, eight, and 10. And the oldest one moved back out because the violence in the home was so bad. And my youngest son and my daughter stuck with me. But my youngest son would actually sleep outside my bedroom door. So if he heard anything going on, he could interfere or not, or, you know, he, he was only six. <laughs> so this went on for years, the abuse, mental abuse. At the age of 19, I was in an abusive relationship, close to three years. You think it's all love, the calling, the texting, and then a drastic change. My daughter used to tell me 
how she was scared. She was ready to leave. She didn't want to stay. She began to wet the bed. She began to have nightmares. My daughter was able to see me hurting physically, mentally, emotionally. My daughter was able to see the bruises. She was even able to help me wipe up the blood. She was nervous. She was shaking. She wouldn't look with her head up. She wouldn't tell me how she feel anymore. If she was happy, if she was sad, if she was mad, as if she didn't have a voice. But things got better. Unlike other organs, the brain is undeveloped at birth, and it is waiting for experiences to shape how it will develop. The amazing thing about the human brain is that the younger you are, the more sponge-like your brain is, which is the reason that children in three years can learn language, can learn to walk, can do all kinds of incredible things. But the very same biological sponginess that allows us to rapidly acquire language is also the same sponginess that makes young children more vulnerable to trauma than older children. We have the opportunity to do police ride-alongs to a domestic violence situation, and so this was actually the first call I ever rode along. It was dinner time, and they were having spaghetti for dinner. It was dripping down the walls, the kitchen table was overturned, and we had three children in the household. Looking at this whole situation at the time, we said, uh, no evidence of physical harm, the kids are fine. We learned differently, of course. The boy in the corner it was classic behavior that we see with kids who have had chronic exposure to violence. He would just completely zone out, numb out, as things started to get scary. The six-year-old little girl on the chair blames herself for what's going on. But actually, it was four years later that we really appreciated uh, who had some of the most profound or severe harm coming out of this situation, and that was the six-month-old baby who was now four and a half and had seriously injured another child in preschool. It's literally the opposite of the way most people think about this. Most people think young children, they don't really understand what's going on and they're resilient, but the fact is if anybody's impacted more severely, it's the younger child. The brain is put together like building blocks in a sense. Those first blocks that go together are the more primitive area, the survival brain. The brain develops from the bottom to the top and from the inside out so that the normal development of the top part of the brain depends upon healthy development of lower parts of the brain. The top part of the brain, where you do all of your thinking, is the part of the brain that is most changeable, easiest to modify. But unfortunately, if a child has developmental experiences of threat and exposure to domestic violence, the lower parts of the brain will be impacted and they're harder to change as they get older. He was never physically abusive, but he was verbally abusive. There was a lot of, lots and lots of screaming in front of the kids, berating, you know, putting me down, and they pretty much hurt it all. Children exposed to domestic violence, children who, who witness their parents fighting, literally are experiencing a state of fear. And when this happens, the systems in your brain that are involved in thinking at the top part of your brain are literally shut down. It changes the brains of these children. My son has seen and heard a lot of the violent outbursts. He was experiencing night terrors 
And that was probably his way of dealing with it because in his waking state, he didn't know how to articulate at two and a half years old. So it was coming through you know, when he was asleep. When kids are chronically stressed, one of the problems that we see is uh, difficulty in attachment and bonding because they're so focused on survival it's hard for them to reach out and connect with others. My oldest boy went through a stage where he would bully his younger brother and seemingly laugh in glee. He was not remorseful or had no empathy that he could actually make someone cry. Many, many phone calls of, of him being disruptive in the classroom. He was a very bright kid, but that's when I knew that he was heading toward trouble. A lot of these kids get labeled as being, you know, bad, difficult, defiant. This is a very natural response to their circumstance. What the child is doing is a survival strategy for them, but it creates behaviors that are very difficult in the classroom. When they're in a crisis mode, they can't learn. The tragic reality of children growing up in domestic violence is that they end up with mental health problems at a rate higher than children who are actually the direct victims of physical abuse. My mother was a victim of domestic violence. Um, my father was an alcoholic, a drug user, and uh, just a cocktail for, for, bad, uh, for a bad living environment for children. My brother, he looked like he was crying on his way home. Me not knowing, I was just a careless little six-year-old, seeing him climb up to my mom's uh, medicine cabinet. I asked him what he was doing. And he, he boldly said, I'm, I'm killing myself. Eight-year-olds on top like that. The first person I, I got to call was my best friend's mom. By the time she came down to our apartment, he had uh, a butcher knife in his hand. He was just cutting himself um, all over his body. And I was just bawling, just crying. There was nothing I could do to help. My brother was, was crying. He didn't want to be there. He was trying to run out. But I had already known that the home, my home, wasn't my own. You know, it wasn't a place where I felt safe. Childhood exposure to violence uh, is about living in a, a threatening, scary environment that may escalate to physical violence, but it often doesn't have to. It's the, the chaos, the uncertainty, the fear of being in a home where things aren't okay. Very interesting talking about the roller coaster because that's what we hear from adult survivors who are in violent households and also the children. The hard part for them, I think, is thinking about what is normal instead of this up and down life of uh, being in a violent, threatening relationship. Growing up in my home, there were six children. My mother and father, unfortunately, fought like cats and dogs. As a result of that, two of my brothers end up being batterers. I have two sisters. Even today, they date men that batter them. Exposure to violence is a lifetime legacy. We see that adults who have had negative childhood experiences often have coping behaviors that can be unhealthy. That certainly has huge effects on how one is going to parent. It's really important for parents to understand that their internal state, whether it's calm, or whether it's alert engagement, or whether it's frustration and anger, whether it's sadness, depression, the baby absorbs these internal states. I have been in the moment with that sense of, of helplessness and hopelessness and stress and anxiety and rage. It really damages the brains of small children to be under a constant level of stress and anxiety.
every day I hope that I haven't damaged my kid in any way. They need to see from you as a parent how to deal with stressful situations in an appropriate manner. Being rational, not resorting to violence to deal with situations. Your children are going to learn how to deal with stress from you. Luckily, my older son is verbal enough and is old enough now that we have conversations about how did it make you feel when that was going on? Was that scary for you? Yeah, and validating that. The biggest thing that helps children exposed to violence is to be able to talk about their feelings, get those critical messages. It's not your fault. Any conflict, I'm able now to stop before I add to it. I'm able to step away rather than trying to solve it at that moment in a state of heightened anger. Just try not to go through it alone. If you have a strong support system and know what, what avenues you have available to you, you know, in case you do need to get out. I was glad that we got help when we did. One of the great things about brain science that we've learned is till the day you die, you have the ability to add new neurons in your brain, that the brain is more like skin uh, in the sense that it can rewire and heal itself in the most important area, the cortex. We have the capacity to heal and do better. The biggest thing we can do for kids exposed to violence is how many healthy adults can they connect to. I did a lot of my childhood in other people's homes, so um, I saw what positive relationships were about. I saw my friends were normal, you know, they didn't have the rage I had. Seeing parents that were together, that showed affection. Home dinners where everybody sat together, those are the things that I realized were important, and instead of being envious, I incorporated it into my life. I wanted to be a part of that. I know school is what made a difference for me. The teachers, the attention I got, letting me know that I could be somebody and I could do something. In fact, my oldest son, his teachers, you know, all six of them were very instrumental in coming forward and providing him support when he needed. They allowed him to be homeschooled to give him time to heal. The hardest part about being a parent now is trying to be different than how my parents raised me. Am I being a good father? What do I need to do to help you feel safe in your home? That's the part, the brain development part, that I think um, we want him to know what normal is for us. And normal is having people who support you and who love you and who want to take care of you. And that we want that to be his normal life. It's one of those pay me now or pay me later. And the truth is, Children who are good at self-regulation, good at self-soothing, don't cry very much, and end up being, if you will, successful, are children who have had incredibly attentive early caregiving, which some people unfortunately think of as spoiling. It's exactly the opposite. Rather than spoiling the newborn, what you're doing is you are building in healthy self-regulation. So those are the things that I want to create an environment for my baby where he gets the benefit of, of what I've learned from all these experts and also other parents. And believe me, they're experts too. The most important thing that parents need to understand is that the brain of their child will become exactly what the child was exposed to. If you want your child to be kind, then you have to be kind to your child. If you want your child to be good at self-regulation and not lose their temper, you have to not lose your temper. And that's the beauty of the human brain. It is a mirror 
to the child's developmental experience. So, I mean, that kind of, obviously, it touches base on, like, the psychological aspects of childhood trauma and abuse. And um, I actually did a study on, like, psychopathic traits of what makes a sociopath or a psychopath a sociopath and a psychopath. And what? so there's a study by um, UC Berkeley, and this is years ago when I was in my master's, no, I was, I was still an undergrad, but pretty much there's three different aspects that creates psychopathy. It's childhood trauma, the warrior gene, and an environmental trigger. So for us, it's kind of hearing this childhood trauma and reacting and, and you know, the sponge thing knowing how a child is going to react because of the environment around you is very similar to the three psychopathic traits. And the warrior gene, it kind of breaks down um, your neurotransmitters. It inhibits dopamine to receive um, or to be received by the brain. And that's what it's a genetic defect. And you have to have all three of those in order to be considered a psychopath or anything like that. But that just, it gives you a really good example of how big these childhood traumas and abuse in the in the home could could affect somebody one day you don't know if you have that genetic gene or you know the the defect or you don't know what's going to be somebody's environmental trigger years down the road yeah and yeah i love i love all that that you said because i've definitely have like heard those things before but now it like totally makes sense because if you have Let's just say if you do have like an, a warrior gene, but then you have like a toxic environment, but you're also getting taught something that's not good. It's like a cocktail of becoming exactly. a really unhealthy person. Yeah. But if you have the warrior gene, but you grew up in a really loving uh, you know, home and you had a really nice environment and you don't really have those triggers and and you're very self-aware in your own space and your own skin then you're less of a, a danger per se. I don't really want to call anybody a danger, but yeah. you're less of of, um, of risk of having that outbreak later yeah. in life. Yeah. Now, I really hope that that whole clip kind of like inspired you. And I will definitely leave links um, to this video, obviously in the show notes like I always do. But speaking of inspire, I have one more thing of a resource if anybody might you know be in a similar situation like this it's called aspire so you know big virgo daddy dr phil (laughs) god i love him i love him too (laughs) well his wife robin is a huge domestic violence advocate like she'll physically go to shelter she actually redid and put money into remaking a shelter for women like she is awesome all in that yeah and she created a ca- um, an app that's called Aspire. And you can find it on, you know, the Apple Store, or, you know, Google Store. It's free. And I went to make sure that was still existing and it's still there. It's designed to look like a news app. Mm. And I th- in the video, they'll explain it, but there it looks like a news app. So if your abuser was to grab your phone and see it, even if they were to click on the app, it'll... It's basically like a daily mail. It'll have yeah. all the news stories. But there's a part on the app where if you cl- click it three times, it sends automatic texts or calls to 911 or anybody that you wow. set 
on it. Like it could be to your mom, 911, whatever. And it could be these predetermined texts of like, help me. Like, this is my address. Like, this is what's going on, like kind of thing. So super cool. And that's, and that doesn't even have to be used for domestic violence cases either. That could be used for literally any type of abuse, any type of endangerment. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Kudos to your wife, Dr. Phil. (laughs) Kudos to your wife. So yeah, I'm going to play that clip right now for you and they're going to slightly explain exactly kind of what I explained, but who doesn't want to hear Dr. Phil talk? Well, Robin is joining me here on stage because she is so passionate about the issue of domestic violence. Uh, In fact, she is one of the most active and, I think, effective ambassadors for fighting domestic violence in America today. And you started a nonprofit foundation called When Georgia Smiled uh, with the sole purpose of helping victims of domestic violence. We create educational programs that are being used in schools across the country. We have also created an app voted on Capitol Hill as one of the top two apps best at helping to raise the awareness of domestic violence and sexual assault. And let's talk about how this works. And this is gonna be a little fuzzy for a reason because we want you to understand how it works, but we don't want to over-educate the abuser. You just have a regular smartphone and you see it has a button on it that looks like every other button. And in this case, it's a news service. And it runs current news for that day. Yeah, so if somebody gets hold of your phone and they say, okay, I'm gonna check Daily Mail and see if this is real, they, they click on it and Daily Mail does come up. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you what's really going on. You see the bar across the top, you, you just your green bar from the server. If you tap that bar three times, you just do that three times. One, two, three. What happens is behind this, you have in advance set up messages. And you tap that phone three times and it sends those messages out automatically to whoever you have programmed it to send them out to. It can be 911, it can be your mother, it can be your neighbor across the street, and the message can say anything you want. It can say, things are getting really dicey over here, please come knock on my door, please call the house, or the one that goes to 911 can say, my life is in danger, come in quiet, but come now. If they take your phone and put it in their pocket and they move you to another site, it's got a tracker in it. Once you trigger it, it sends out a signal that the police can follow and it'll track you to where you go. The app is free, so you can go to iTunes, uh, Google Play, and you can download the app for free. Now, one of the things that when Georgia Smiled created was the Aspire Initiative, which is what she was talking about, an interactive curriculum designed to help tweens, teens, and adults. But one of the things I wanted to go over while we're here is a safe exit plan. Number one, you wanna notify a friend or family member or someone you trust that you are planning on ending the relationship. You wanna identify a code word that you can text a friend or trusted person in the event that you're in trouble, or you can use the Aspire app. Three, if you don't feel safe, Don't break up in person. Just simply don't do it. Four, identify a safe place that you can go where someone you trust can pick you up. 
contact loveisrespect.org to find resources in your own area. Now, when you go into the program, there'll be more details in there about things you wanna do, like copying key documents for children for custody purposes, getting a separate set of keys made. All of these things are in there uh, that will help you just have a template so you know what to do to get away safely. Now, let me do a shameless plea for donations for When Georgia Smiled. Every penny of every donation that goes to When Georgia Smiled goes to an end user. And Robin uses this money to support women's shelters. And she adopts shelters all over the country, all up and down through California. And these shelters, a lot of the things are donated to the shelters, a lot of food is donated to the shelters, but they need money to pay utilities, to pay mortgages, to pay rent. And when Georgia Smiled needs donations, because right now there are more domestic violence victims, women and children, than there are beds. Yes. Right? Yes. You're, you're, just, you're out of beds. Yes, that's right. Uh, they never know when they're going to get a family. So they have to always be prepared. And they are so loving and giving to these families. And they, they keep them as long as they need to be there. And they have to be funded. And it's just so important to donate to foundations such as When Georgia Smiled because we're the ones that give the money to these shelters so they can take care of these victims. Yeah. And uh, there is no overhead. It all goes to uh, the victims and to the shelters. Uh, you can go to the website, uh, whengeorgiasmiled.org. You can see more about the good works that they do. Uh, but please help us help them. We need to keep these shelters open for these people. So that is today's case. Yeah, I, I feel... Obviously, this is going to be a different vibe of an episode for all of our listeners. And, like, you know, thank you for telling it. It was definitely, definitely very interesting and intriguing. And just, like, hearing that 911 call still gives me chills. Just thinking about yeah. everything that unfolded. And the daughter is brave and amazing for being able to tell the events. And this was a really good outcome for a very sad, sad story. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to like end it in a happier note, a hopeful note, because it, I mean, just domestic violence is scary. And us, and this is what I was telling Amber off mic is like, I'm almost more scared and sad of domestic violence than anything else because your home is supposed to be safe. You're yeah. not expecting anything like this. And to it's hear safe spot. families getting destroyed over it and hurt and killed, I mean, that is just, it's upsetting. So I wanted to kind of make this an episode that was a case because we love true crime, but I also wanted to, to give resources and like a little bit more education behind all that. So, yeah, we always tell scary, you know, gruesome stories, but some of them end happily and others don't. And this is one where it's, it's very sad and we just feel like now it's time for resources. If you were to ever be in this situation. Yep. So happy Monday. Enjoy your Monday. Yeah. And we'll see you next week.